The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Bonus Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and on this week's show, we are joined by two very special VIP guests. Fresh off of helping Rock Vaughan claim a Cork LGFA Junior B County title, I speak to 10-time All-Ireland Senior Football winner Valerie Mulcahy. I also sit down with Irish Women's Senior Basketball Captain Edel Thornton, ahead of our country's FIBA Women's Euro Basketball Qualifier with France. Cork's Red FM rugby expert Wendy Keenan has all the latest Irish International Women's AIL, Munster Leagues, Munster Girls Youths and Munster Women's Developments news. Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley pre- reviews last weekend's incident-packed Brazilian Grand Prix and has all the latest F1 headlines. Munster Women's Hockey's Graham Catchpole reviews the latest Munster Women's Hockey results and has news of Ireland's 2024 Olympic qualifying draw. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran analyses every AFL result, Irish players' performance and previews the upcoming finals weekend as well as the final AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings. Finally, I have my weekly Cork LGFA roundup and a preview of this weekend's Munster LGFA finals involving O'Donovan Rossa and Glenn that's all to come on this week's jam-packed Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Irish Women's Senior International Basketball Captain Idel Thornton joined me on the Big Red Bench to preview this weekend's FIBA 2025 Eurobasket qualifier with France. Idel also spoke about her club, Garner Braher Credit Union Brunel's excellent early season run to the top of the Miss Quarterly Irish Women's Basketball Super League, including a recent derby win over rivals the address UCC Glanmire. Okay, so it is a real thrill now to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by the Irish Women's Senior International Captain, the October Player of the Month for the Irish basketball misquoted a Super League and the uh, main one of the main reasons and uh, why Garner Braw Credit Union Brunel are top of the misquoted a Super League standings at the beginning of the 2023-24 season Edel Thornton you're very very welcome to the bench Thanks really for having me back sir yeah, good to talk to you. Let's uh, let's focus on the positives first of all, because Garner Braher, Credit Union, Brunel are flying it to put it mildly. Now I know last weekend uh, you were defeated for the first time by Kilester, but just before all of that, you had won all six games to go top of the Misquote Super League, um, and that included a very very impressive derby victory over the address UCC Glanmire, which you won eighty seven seventy three. Can you give me an idea as to why Brunel have enjoyed such a start, to, uh, such a positive start to this season? Yeah, you know, um, I think after last season, we knew ourselves within like the Irish core that we had that we could be really good if we got two, one even one solid American. And this year, we've been really, really thankful to get two really good people. Um, beyond their playing skills, they're just two really great girls. Um, so with gelling them into the unit that we already had and Liam is doing an absolutely amazing job at just making sure that we're all you know playing for each other and playing for the crest and just playing with a good like good intentions and like in a good uh, we're in a really really good place at the moment with our playing style and how we're playing together um, JJ Williams and Jayla Johnson are the two Americans that have come in what is it about them on the court that has impressed you the most? Uh, they're like their tenacity, to be honest with you, um, I think it's something that has stood out a lot to a lot of people. And their defensive ability, like how long they are. JJ, you know, would be a lot like smaller than other posts, but she's so athletic and she's so long that like it, it doesn't bother, like their body build might be bigger than hers, but like her ability to get around people is amazing. And Jayla, Jayla can do some crazy things with basketball. Like she's just a real go-getter in terms of scoring. And they're really tough, like, you know, and they're just, really competitive players which is what 
they really why they fit in so well to our team I think you know we're all quite competitive but to add two more extremely talented and just as competitive players to the mix it just kind of took us to where we are at this point in the season yeah, that fantastic start, as I said, six wins out of six. Uh, you mentioned the two Americans. You also mentioned the Irish core, the players that were there since last year, the likes of Lauren Holman and Kelly Sexton. I get the impression that the consistency from those players is, has been just as important as the American imports. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, um, and a lot of teams would do that in general. You can't focus on everyone, so they pick out a few. But the girls have been, so, like you said, consistent, just really, really good consistently like we wouldn't be six we wouldn't have gone six wins from six if Kelly and Lauren didn't play defence like they always did you know like Kelly picks up the the point guard no matter who they are and just puts pressure on them the entire time she's in the game and Lauren has been absolutely amazing to start the season so like you know you can kind of talk about the two Americans but it's like you said it's the consistency from Lauren and Kelly and Katie and Danielle and like everybody else that has been just you know, kept us there and like where we won a lot of games, you know, at six and six is a lot of games to win, but we won them quite comfortably. So like, you know, if you didn't have the consistency from those type of players, you wouldn't be winning games like that. So, um, yeah, I'm just very lucky to be around such a great group of people. Like, You certainly are. Um, talk to me about the atmosphere in the Mardike Arena and that 87-73 win over your rivals, to put it mildly, the address UCC Glanmire, because reading about it, um, watching a bit of it online, um, it, it, it looked like it was all that's good about ba- Irish women's basketball, but certainly Cork uh, women's basketball. It must have been, uh, I mean, you've played in quite a lot of big games, you're, you're captain of your country, but talk to me about just the atmosphere, first of all, in the Mardike, and what, what the result meant uh, for Brunel. Yeah, do you know, I think, I, I, like you said, I've played in a lot of places, but there's nothing, nothing like playing in front of a Brunel crowd in a derby against Glamour. Like genuinely, it's just the passion that's there is just something else. Um, and this this time round, it was just, it was amazing to be quite honest. Like the crowd were just fully in it and totally our sixth man on the court at all times. Um, you know, we had a lot of people down there and they made a lot of noise there's one thing to show up to the match and another thing is to support the team like they did and they were absolutely incredible and like to be honest with you it's one of the main reasons we won the match because you know Glamire will go on their runs and they will score a point but like when you have people shouting at you consistently and they're always there to support it just means so much and to see what it means to the club people um, for us to win at the end of the game you know Karen O'Leary came up with a big hug and just to see what it means to him you know you know you're doing the right thing Um at the end of every game when you give it your all um, so it's, it was great for the club and you know we haven't beaten Glamire in a long time in the Super League so and you know that's a credit to them and what they've done the past number of years but we were just really grateful and really really happy to get the win over them there now last week yeah, it's uh, it's obvious that, you know, when you went on that consistent run, you seem to carry that momentum into such an important game. And we've mentioned the American players, we've mentioned the Irish players, but we haven't mentioned you uh, because you are or were the October player of the month for the Misquote.ie Super League, uh, contributing an average of roughly just over 17 points, 5.8 rebounds per game and 4.6 assists. I mean, I know we're going to talk about the fact that you're injured at the moment, but up to the point where you were injured, was this the most... Has this been the most enjoyable? It's obvious you're playing really, really good basketball, Edel, but is this the most enjoyable that you can remember in a Brunel jersey, those opening six games? Um, since I've been back, yeah, for sure. Um, 
think when I was young, it's hard to beat the years when I was younger and we were winning cups, like you mm. know. But um, I think Super League, yeah, it is. Um, it's the most fun I've had, and I think last year I know we lost, so the end of the games was always quite hard. But like I had a lot of fun with them, that group, so I'm just so happy to be honest that the group that I'm that are surrounding me are getting the chance to to understand what it feels like to win at this level because like we deserved it last year and we're, we're kind of you know we're getting what we did, what we put in last year I think we're getting the results of it now um, and for it to take so long it's, it's hard but like I'm just like you said I'm just enjoying it an awful lot um, it's a shame like, like you said I'm injured at the moment but you know we don't know the outcome of that yet so hopefully it won't be too long until I'm putting the jersey back on like Yes, indeed. And uh, not just the Brunel jersey, but also the Irish jersey, because coming up on November the 12th, um, and there are tickets available if you're interested on Ireland.basketball, the website there under the ticket section, but the Eurobasket Women's Qualifier, the FIBA Women's Eurobasket Qualifier with the French on the 12th of November is a huge game. Well, every game is a huge game for your country, but being captain, first of all, Edel, um, a huge honour for you, for Brunel and for your family and your, for your friends, obviously. Let's just assume and stay positive that you're going to be okay for that game. How big a game is this for Ireland um, in the Eurobasket qualifiers? That's huge. Um, not every week you see France coming to Dublin, you know. Um, they're one of the best in the world consistently. Uh, they were in the semi-finals of this competition last last time out. So it's a huge game for us and, you know, the calibre of players they have. Um, no one, like the lowest league a player on their roster is playing is the top division in France. Like they go from the WNBA to EuroLeague, EuroCup. So like the calibre of players that we're going to see on Sunday in Dublin is going to be outstanding. Um, and we're really looking forward to it. You know, the opportunity to kind of test ourselves against the top, one of the top teams in the world all the time, you know. Um, so I I can't wait. And it's been something that's kind of been on my calendar since we found out the, um, since we found out our group, the game that I've marked, you know, France and Dublin. Uh, and I, I've been talking to people around the basketball community and you know we just keep phrasing it like it's not every day you see France and Dublin and whatever but like I'm just really excited for our team to put ourselves up against some of the best in the world to see where we see where we stand in those standings and you know we've been focused on them since the guest so um, it's a really exciting thing and I think for you know young girls but even for young boys and the basketball community in general like you said there are tickets available and like of course, we, we would want as much support as we can get in Dublin on Sunday, but to be able to see such a high-talent game would be huge for the Irish community. So I would highly recommend anyone that's available to go see the game, just for the talent that's there. Uh, very well put uh, as only the Irish international senior captain could say it but on Sunday November the 12th the FIBA Women's Eurobasket qualifier Ireland versus France tickets available on Ireland.basketball if you go to that website you'll find details there um, Garner Brower Credit Union Brunel are still top of the misquote.ie Women's Super League um, player of the month for October hopefully going to recover in time from the current injury that you can represent your country against the, Fran- against the French this coming weekend we will have fingers crossed for you Adele Thornton but once again thank you very very much for taking the time to speak to us here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks a million, Dar. Thanks so much. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Rock Bond won the 2023 Cork NGFA Junior B Football County title at the expense of Tyg McCorrick at MTU Cork last weekend.
Central to a talented rock band panel success was former Cork LGFA senior and 10-time All-Ireland LGFA winner Valerie Mulcahy. Valerie spoke to me on the Big Red Bench about going back playing for her club, winning a previous Junior B title 23 years ago, having her mother and family members present at MTU and the impact her late father Tom had on her sporting career. Now, it is a real thrill to be joined here on Corks Red FM's Big Red Bench by another uh, Corks Red FM uh, broadcaster, one of the many strings to her bow, but also uh, a 2023 Cork LGFA Junior B County Champion with her beloved club, Rock Bond. A 10-time All-Ireland winner, multi-All-Star winner. She's been there, done that, done through the years. Um, but it's a real thrill to be joined by Valerie Mulcahy here on the Big Red Bench. Valerie, how are you? Flying it, yeah. Um you feeling great now the Sunday after waking up knowing that we did the business and managed to get over the line and won the junior B. So we had a lovely celebration in church last evening and um, went into the, the early hours, but uh, it was good fun and, and good live music and crack was had and dancing. So uh, very nice, very nice to, to share a few hours with the young ones and all their energy. Yeah, can I suggest to you, first of all, in, in the nicest and, and very politest sense that um, you are not the youngest player on that panel, let's put it that way, and the fact that you're, no, <laughs> you're, you're the far, part of a very, very strong panel, clearly, to win a Junior B County. Let's We should just uh, reiterate, you beat Tyg McCorrick from West Cork in a cracking final. Um, you had a very, very good game yourself. I know you're going to tell me it was a team effort, and obviously you needed a team effort throughout the year, not just to win a county final, but to come through a very, very tough Junior B grade. But on the day yourself, you had a you had you, you played superbly and you scored two six. Yeah, I was very happy with my performance. Um, I think you know, I think maybe the occasion I kind of got to a few of the girls. Um, I was really uh, surprised and delighted when I heard the the crowd roaring when we came out for the first time because we warmed up in the pitch, the lower pitch in, in MTU. So, um, you know, there was a huge crowd there, and I think I suppose that experience kind of came through. I guess in the semi final, like I think we'd go ten different scores. So yes, it was quite different in those. Um, mainly myself from from playing from freeze and uh, one of the other girls, Aileen, got a free, and Claire Conway actually got a point when she came on. And it's funny because Claire and myself were both playing on that team that originally won the Junior B County back twenty three years ago, and we were in the same numbers. So number eleven, number thirteen. So that was lovely. But yeah, I was delighted with yesterday's performance. Um, we probably didn't play our best as a team, but look, we we did enough to get over the line and. Um, we're just thrilled with that really I mean we had a tough opposition um, young ambitious and, and kind of fearless team in our opposition in Tyke McCarrick so uh, you know they almost came back we, we happened or managed to, to take the lead each time but they didn't almost manage to come back so uh, grateful that we had the four points on them rather than the three because it would have been uh, extra time <laughs> if, uh, if they did uh, the ref if, if we weren't that one extra point up I uh, was lucky enough to see the Rock Pond under 21s win under 21c county final earlier in the year. They beat Castlehaven 3 8 to 113 uh, on Bishopstown GA's 4G pitch. And I saw people like Jennifer Whelan stand up that day. She got 2 3. I assume that this team and this panel is backboned by those under 21s and the mix, dare I say it, of your experience, um, you know, and, and Clara Hearns and, and the likes of, you know, th- th- these kind of players. Forging that together isn't an easy thing to do, but you've obviously done a very, very good job. Your management team has done a very, very good job in winning, you know, winning a County B yeah. title. Yeah, I mean, there's actually eight um, girls that were between minor and 15 on that panel, and I think there's something like six of them started, yeah, out of the eight. So, um, 
you know, we have that youth and that under-21 victory was massive and it was a great boost for the club as well. Uh, as you mentioned there, youth and experience like Clara and myself, the older girls, and we took Laura Crowley back and Shauna Brickley. So it was a nice spend, but they're, they're a great bunch of, of players and, um, you know, a lot of them are quite young, so they keep you young, but um, they're very honest and and just good fun. So, you know, like Cleveland and a few others who um, who are just good fun and, and Nicholas Sheen and that, they, they just keep the party young and uh, it's been great. And like our management has been wonderful. I've been helping out with the coaching and that, but, um, you know, this group have been together about three or four years trying to just get over that line. There was, um, there's the, the main man, Jennifer Whelan's dad, is Alan Whelan, uh, originally Alan, Brian Dillon's man. Um, so he's been involved in news work as uh, has Matt Matt Shaw who's a dub who's been in, the, in our locality for a long while and been involved with his daughter playing in that so um, he's put in news work and ours um, and we have then from Mayfield on Manny so he's he's been brought in and, and like he was you know he's not no relation or anyone in the club but he was happy to help out so it was nice to have that um, fresh voice and then We've Alicia McGrath, who's a mom of both of two girls that are on the squad. So, you know, she did a, a lovely job as well, ensuring that we were all looked after. And it was always had a smile on her face and the cabinet on the sideline. So it was a good blend. And um, I'm just really fortunate and glad that we were able to repay the lads for all their hard work and all their efforts throughout the last number of years, not just this year. Um, I, I had the privilege to interview from my book, Cork LGFA, Given My Life, which you very kindly contributed to. And you mentioned in your chapter about your mother and how she's originally from Carrig Navarre. Um, but it was, it was she and a number of other people that got together at a certain time, point in time and decided to form the Rockbourne Ladies Club because there was no club in your locality at the time. And you and the people coming out of your school needed that, ave- you know, that, that avenue. They needed that club. It's obviously a club very close to your family's heart. And did that make it all the more special, uh, winning the County Junior B this past oh. weekend? It did, yeah. I mean, my mom had a huge role to play, um, and she was able to be there and witness it. And my brother and, and my sister and my other sisters and Ora's on the panel. And um, you know, a few short months ago, we lost my dad, who would have been probably our biggest supporter. He would have, even when I retired, he was still going on to all the matches and being umpire and that. So it was lovely when Jane accepted the cup, and she uh, remembered Tom, my dad, and um, you know, I think I think it had been in his element yesterday and, and I was just glad that we could uh, kind of do it in his honour almost and um, mm. I know he'd be very happy so it, yeah it was in probably that bit more special and important to me to, to try and bring it home yesterday Valerie I, I, I don't know you but I, I've been lucky enough to talk to you quite a number of times don't through the years I, I know that you're very passionate about what you do but you're also incredibly busy between your full time job your teaching your coaching why I think I know the answer, but why are you still playing? And why are you still playing and pushing yourself at this particular level? Well, it, it was actually my dad there when he was sick. He was kind of questioning why I was around <laughs> and not playing. Of course we play. So um, I helped out last year in the end of the season. Um, they were kind of, they, we need to try and not get relegated. So we did, we did a match to, if we could win that, we wouldn't get relegated. So um, I played that and did my part um, and then I suppose when the start of this season came then uh, he kind of gave me the notes that I needed so I was, I was happy to be able to do that and obviously still able to contribute on the pitch so might as well 
I hope we will see you at junior A level next year. Will that be is that something we want to talk about right now? Are you still are you still yeah, nursing the knocks? <laughs> yeah, my yeah, I have like a um a stud mark in the back of my thigh and I <sighs> bruising and another mark on my ankle and stuff, but uh, that's part of it, isn't it? And yeah, it takes a little bit more to recover. But yeah, we'll see what next year takes if I'll be involved in some way anyway. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> What is your, I mean, you're somebody that's watched from the sideline. You've been a coach. You are a coach. Um, you've a keen eye for it. You've been there, done that with Cork at senior level, inter-county level with all those, those 10 All-Irelands. In the last couple of years, I've seen it in various, you know, guises as a coach and now as a player. What's your view on what you've seen? And certainly at junior B level, because I cover a lot of ladies football in Cork. And it's getting, I think it's getting better each year. But your own personal view of what you've come across this year at the particular group and the level that you've been at. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a very competitive level, and it is very hard to get out of junior B. Um, so we're we're glad that, and um, you know, Tyg McGarry's got a good run there, going up from junior C and had that momentum. But we we've stay, um face a, a few good sides, stiff opposition, and and some great players. So yeah, I do think the standard is quite high, and and um, it'll be a big challenge on next year again for junior A. But I think it's important to try and keep progressing and. You know, get back to where Rockbourne used to be, which was well, briefly, all that briefly up in mm-hmm. senior. But we, you know, we managed to win All Ireland Junior A and an intermediate in the the following year. So, you know, we have reached those heights before. So hopefully, we can try and do it again. But it's definitely agree with you. The standard is very high, and it's um, it's looking good. It certainly is. And look, um, thanks very, very much for taking the time to speak to us here on the Big Red Bench. I know how busy you are and I know what kind of a weekend you probably had after winning a Junior B County with Rock Bods. We really do appreciate the time. And look, um, whatever you decide to do next year, I hope you come back. I hope to see you out on the pitch again with Rock Bond. Looking forward to seeing Rock Bond, the Junior A. I think they're going to really add to that grade. Um, and it's a fantastic story for their particular club winning an under 21C County this year. Now winning a Junior B adult grade as well. Um, it's looking really good. And look, we're delighted to see you back out on the pitch. And I did message you shortly after just finally finally um, querying you'd have no interest whatsoever maybe if there was a Cork position opened up in the Cork senior team <laughs> no I'm happy with the minors and uh, <laughs> um, I'll be helping with coaching on the minors and that'll keep me busy but uh, no I'm, I'm happy with my decision notes when I retired there a few years ago uh, club is, club is um, wetting my outside enough and that, that is sufficient for me you know well listen uh, thanks very much as I said for taking the time to speak to us here at the Big Red Bench congrats on becoming a Junior B County Champion once again with your club Rock Bond and Valerie Mulcahy hopefully we'll talk again soon thank you Sandra. The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm AFLW's Mike Curran joined me on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis comment and his expert coaching opinion on every single one of this past weekend's AFLW games Mike also gave the lowdown on each Irish player's display following their latest weekend's AFLW action we preview all of this upcoming weekend's AFLW matches as well as well as analysing all the latest AFLW Ireland's Irish Player of the Year and week standings now we have reached the business end of the AFLW season, the beginning of the business end of the AFLW season. Hard to believe we were waiting for it for so long and yet here we are. We're about to discuss the final round of regular season games, round 10, which was the Pride round in Australia. Go through each of the games and how the Irish players fared. Look at the final regular season ladder and then talk about this upcoming weekend mouthwatering qualifying and elimination finals. 
only one man on the planet can explain it and take us through it with forensic detail analysis and that is AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran. Mike, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Thanks, sir. All good. This was a massive weekend all around. The home and away season is done and dusted. It's hard to believe it. It is hard to believe it. And we've got so much to look forward to with the finals and the qualifying, the elimination finals. But let's start our roundup back on Friday in the Pride round, which is round 10 of the FLW season. The Gold Coast Suns defeating the Essendon Bombers 39-25. The Gold Coast Suns Irish for this season were Clara Fitzpatrick, Neil McLaughlin and Karen McCrossan. And Joanne Doonan is the solitary Essendon Irish pair. But Gold Coast securing its first final berth in three years. Here's Mike with a 14-point victory. Yes, they did. And look, at, there were so many permutations ahead of this game. And in, and in fairness, all the games this round, I suppose this is one of the drawbacks of such a short season, only 10 rounds. Excitement all around every weekend for us. But what it meant was going into the final round, I think 13 of the 18 teams could make the finals. There were so many permutations and combinations depending on who won and lost. But as you say, the round opened on Friday night with Gold Coast Suns getting a win over Essendon Bonners. And both teams headed into this game with the potentials to secure a final spot. And it was the Suns who cemented their own fate effectively with a 14-point win here to secure fifth spot. And that left the, the Bombers to rely on other results to secure their spot. But ultimately, we know that they did secure seventh position and they're into the finals as well. But a fifth spot finish for the Suns, uh, which is brilliant. As you said, the first time back in finals in three seasons, that's where they wanted to be this year. I know I did a bit of work with them earlier when we got some Irish players over this this year and their aim was to get to finals. So they're going to be happy. Essendon started the brighter at Great Barrier Reef Arena with Suns feeling the impact initially of missing one of their young stars, Charlie Robottom, which is, who's currently out with injury. But the Bombers, while they did dominate the early inside 50s, they didn't capitalize on the scoreboard and they led by just one point at quarter time. Um, but Suns' big move was in the second quarter. They kicked four goals including two from Darcy Davies. And from there on, Essendon's inefficiency going forward continued to prove costly for them. So Gold Coast drove on from there with the win and they can now look forward to that home final, as you said. And they'll be sweating on the return of Charlie Rowbottom, depending on her uh, availability and the extent of her ankle injury. But all is not lost for Essendon either. And they will be celebrating making the finals. Remember, this is just their second Mm -hmm. season. So that's a fantastic achievement to get to a finals in your second season. Yeah, two very, very progressive clubs on the up, I think, is the outcome of this, irrespective of what happens from here on in, both into the final series, as you said, but a good win for the Gold Coast Suns, and great to see Essendon, as you said, such a fledgling club compared to others, um, into the finals now as well, despite that defeat. We move to Saturday, the 4th of November, and the North Melbourne Kangaroos defeated the Western Bulldogs 55-9 at the Witten Oval, the North Melbourne Irish, of course, this year, Ailish Constantine, Eric O'Shea, Niamh Martin, but it was the Kangaroos who blew away the Bulldogs by 46 points and secured a top four spot with a thumping win and an Irish headline coming out of that as well, Mike. Yeah, a miserable season for the Bulldogs continues. You know, their only shining light was that they did get a win in round nine, uh, but they have nine losses for the season. They were held scoreless at halftime in this game. They were only one point scored at three-quarter time and it was only in the opening minutes of the last quarter before they even registered a goal. So they finished on their equal lowest score ever. So... Uh, a down, uh, um, a poor performance to finish the season for them. But look at North were on fire, absolutely obliterated the Bulldogs. They secured their top four finish. Uh, bouncing back, remember, as well from two narrow losses against two of the top teams, Demons and Crows, across the last couple of weekends and got a big win here at Whitnoval. 
it's been the Jazzy Garner and Asphodel show all season. We talk about them every week, and so it was the case again this weekend. 31 disposals and two goals for Garner, 36 disposals for Riddell. So absolutely fantastic. But North did whatever they wanted in this game. They moved the ball quickly and generally straight up through the middle of the ground, and that winning margin would have been even higher had they been more efficient in front of the goals. They returned 13 behinds from 20 scoring shots. So... um Although some credit must go to the Bulldogs' defence there as well. But yeah, that highlight you mentioned is no doubt Eric O'Shea scoring her first AFLW goal. So um, they switched Eric up to the forwards and she duly delivered with a goal to great celebrations, of course, her first ever AFLW goal. And we saw her on social media after talking about ringing home to her mom and stuff. So emotional scenes and great celebrations for, for the O'Shea's. But Erica showing that not only can she be a star down back, she can kick a goal up front if needed. But I think she'll be sticking to the defence now as we as we head to the business end of the season. But yeah, Kangaroos are back where they want to be and they've got a double chance in the finals campaign to come. They certainly do. Well done to Eric O'Shea as well. It was lovely to see every single member of that uh, Kangaroos team coming up and congratulating her. The, the moment was not last on them. And um, uh, as you said, moving her up into the forwards, but she is a, a natural back attacking from the end. But it'll be interesting to see if she continues those forwards forward in the final series. Well done to the North Melbourne Kangaroos. We move now to the Alberton Oval where history with two pieces of history were created as Port Adelaide defeated the Greater Western, Greater Western Sydney 88-30. Now that was that score for Port Adelaide uh, was its highest ever, which was 88, 13 uh, behinds in 10. Uh, but also on the day, Mike, a very, very important and well-known player uh, went into retirement, and that's Aaron Phillips. Yeah, look, there was no Irish involved in this one. There were two teams that were out of contention for finals, but the big news ahead of this one was the retirement of Aaron Phillips, one of the all-time legends of the game and just sport in general, I suppose. Obviously, Aaron moved to power, who's the team she would have supported from being a young girl, it was the team her dad played at. She wore his number. It was a big uh, move last season. Uh, prior to that, you know, she won three premierships with Adelaide Crows. She was twice named the league's best and fairest in AFLW. Away from that, she's an Olympic silver medalist, a Commonwealth Golds medalist in basketball. You know, absolute legend of sport. So this was a huge occasion. Uh, there was great celebrations and, and build-up before it. And I think Port Adelaide definitely got a bounce from that as they were absolutely on fire and they finished the season on a high with a massive score of, of 88, the highest score they've ever kicked in their two seasons so far, as you've mentioned. The second win of the season for them, they stormed out the blocks with a five-goal first quarter. They didn't look back from there. Ashley Saint was the star of the show, another player who made a big switch from Adelaide Crows last year with five goals. Jim Houghton, who came over from Fremont and Dockers, got three goals. And of course, to finish the fairy tale off, Erin Phillips scored a goal uh, of her own in the final quarter after taking a pack mark one of her trademark marks uh, to much celebration as well. So a fitting end to a fantastic career for uh, Aaron Phillips and a great win for Port Adelaide. Yes, a very, very good win for Port Adelaide, but what what a career. Even to some, some of the additional sports that you mentioned there, Aaron Phillips, um, a name uh, certainly synonymous now with AFLW, but with many, many other sports as well, and good luck to her in her retirement. We move to Geelong and Hawthorne, who met at the GMHBA Stadium, and it was a 60-20 win for Geelong. This season, the Geelong Cats Irish are Rachel Kearns, Ashley Maloney and Anna Rose Kennedy, and the Hawks Irish are Aileen Gilroy and Anya McDonough. But a 40-point win for Hawthorne, fully deserved, uh, sorry, 40-point win here for Geelong, uh, Mike, fully deserved over a disappointing Hawks. It was. Look, they did the job. They had to win on the night to keep their um, finals contentions um, uh, in place, and they did that. They made sure that finals position, they locked down eight spot, a massive win over Hawks at home at GMHBA Stadium down in Geelong. 
Um, they've now made it into their second consecutive finals appearance. And remember, they just went down early to North Melbourne last year, so they'll be hoping to go one better this time around. Uh, interestingly, it was the first time these sides had ever met uh, Hawthorne and Geelong. Georgia Perspacus was the star for Geelong, 35 disposals, while the forwards were also firing up front seven individual goal kickers, including Ashley Maloney, who got another goal. But the star up front was Chloe Shear, uh, nabbing three goals, multiple goals for her, as she's done many times throughout the season. In fairness, uh, Hawthorne worked very hard here throughout. Um, they won a lot of the stats. You know, they won the tackle count 86 to 61. Emily Bates was brilliant for them. Um, and of course, it was a big game for the Hawks as well. They were out of contention, contention for finals previous game, but they were sending off three retirees, uh, a catch McCurry shoot, Catherine Brown, Tamara Luke, all playing who retired this week. And they also had another high profile retirement in Tegan Cunningham during the week. So, uh, they did their best to send off those players, but Geelong, uh, were very good and they're back in the finals and that's where they want to be as well. Um, so, um, in terms of the Irish players, Aileen Gilroy was very good. She did her best to, to block the cash. She had eight intercept possessions and 16 disposals. Anya McDonough was very good again. Remember, she had that incredible eight-round scoring streak from rounds one to eight earlier in the season. 14 disposals, four marks, four taxes for her. And on the cat side, Ashley Maloney, we mentioned with that goal, and also featuring Rachel Kearns. Yes, good to see the Irish doing very, very well there. And we'll be keeping a uh, close eye on, obviously, on Rachel Cairns, Ashley Maloney and Anna Rose Kennedy uh, for the Cats in the final series. We move now to a big win for Adelaide, 71-45 over West Coast on Saturday night at Mineral Resources Park. This year's West Coast Eagles Irish representatives, Ashley McCarthy, while Neave Kelly and Yvonne Bonner have been in terrific form for Adelaide, the Adelaide Crows. I suppose, Mike, coming out of this, a 26-point win for Adelaide, it meant they eventually ended up uh, being crowned minor premiers because of another result we're going to talk about very shortly but um, the Crows doing what they had to do and finishing top Yeah again doing what they had to do now it has to be said they arrested some key players for this game they had six strategic omissions including captain Chelsea Randall star midfielder Anne Hatchard etc but uh, still it turned out to be a great performance Ebony Marinoff was the star of the show for them with 23 disposals but in fairness the Eagles gave it absolutely everything this was at home for them in part Miller's Park um, it's also their second game understanding coach Rowan McHugh after the departure of their head coach Michael Pryor a couple of weeks ago. So they are, are playing for the future, I suppose, in fairness, and played very well. Um, and worth noting from the West Coast Eagles side, Ashley McCarthy was brilliant again. She scored a goal and she had her whole family in attendance. Her mom, Mags, her dad, Carl, and sister, Roisin, were at their first Eagles game despite Ashley being here for six seasons. So absolutely fantastic occasion for the McCarthy family. And then in terms of the Crows Irish, Neve Kelly had less game time than usual. Again, I think with one eye on finals, her time was managed. But the talking point here is Yvonne Bonner back after missing two rounds due to an ear injury. She was absolutely excellent. She scored a goal. She had 14 disposals and took four marks and three tackles up front. So brilliant to see Yvonne back. But yeah, the Crows are now gearing up for yet another final series and begin the search for an incredible fourth AFL premiership. Remember, they have three already. No other club has won more than one. Uh, but job done for Adelaide Crows. And as you said, taking out the minor premiership as well, uh, which will potentially have impact on where grand finals are played. So uh, that's significant in itself. 
Yes, and as you said, considering they were able to rest some players as well and achieve that, great to see Neve Kelly and as you said, Yvonne Bonner as well. Great to see her back in action and doing so well. Adelaide are going to be the team to beat over the next couple of weeks in the final series. We finished our Saturday night slate with a big, big result from the Brighton's home arena where the Brisbane Lions defeated the Melbourne Demons 53-28. This year's Brisbane Lions, as you know, are Ora Otoire and Jennifer Dunn, while the Melbourne Demons, Irish are Sinead Goldrick, Blahin Mackin and her sister Amy Mackin. But Mike, the big headline coming out of this, Brisbane storming into contention. A 25-point win over Melbourne, um, securing the Lions more than importantly for anything for them, a top four finish, but denying the Demons the minor premiership. Yeah, massively important win for the Lions. You know, it was the grand final rematch. They were still smarting from losing that grand final last last year. I was there myself at the Brighton Homes Arena, their first ever game there. Uh, this was their chance for revenge and, and they've taken it. You know, they've secured that top four finish. They've had a couple of wobbles, um, most recently around nine, where they went down in a shock defeat to St. Kilda. So their top four position was was in jeopardy, but they've really... Um, secure that now and as you say denied Melbourne the, the minor premiership but this was their best performance of the season so far they were absolutely relentless from the start Lions have now beaten all the other top three teams this season so that's significant as well they've had their couple of wobbles but they've beaten Adelaide they've beaten Melbourne Demons they've beaten North Melbourne Kangaroos in the home away season they now um, have their double chance in the finals in this game as I say from the start they were outstanding They two goals each from Dakota Davison and Sophie Conway, some of the midfielders were brilliant. Jade Ellinger on the wing. Um, Ali Anderson last year's best of Ferris. Orlo O'Dwyer, Courtney Hodder up front. You couldn't pick out a pair that wasn't uh, exceptional for the Lions. Um, in terms of the Irish, Jen Dunn was brilliant. Jennifer Dunn had her best game so far. She was tasked with marking one of the key forwards for Melbourne, Eden Zanker, and she held her goalless and also got nine intercept possessions as well. Orlo O'Dwyer was at her usual best. And on the Demon side, then we also saw um, Blind Mack and, and Sinead Goldrick featured. But yeah, a big win. Melbourne were already guaranteed top two before the game. Um, they were missing their one of their big players, uh, Paxi, Karen Paxman, now known as Paxi Paxman. That's a whole other story. And they also had a concussion early to rewatch. But um, on a plus side, they had Taylor Harris back, who had missed three games due to a hamstring injury. And she took one of the marks of the year after coming on. I'd say the coaches were screaming when they saw her leaping over four or five players just back from injury, but typical highlight from her. But yeah, this was a massive, massive result from the Lions and puts them right back into the conversation in terms of where this year's premiership is going to go. It certainly is, and good news as well for Orlo Dwyer and Jennifer Dunn, who've been playing really, really consistently well for Brisbane. Uh, well done to them. We finish with three games on Sunday, each of those having a significant uh, a significance in the final ladder standings. We start at Icon Park, where St Kilda defeated the Carlton Blues 46-26. St Kilda Irish this year, uh, the lone player there is Grace Kelly, and the Carlton Blues Irish are Rowan Fitzpatrick and Daniel Finn. But this result, St Kilda did what they needed to do, Mike, but because of the result elsewhere between the Sydney Swans and Fremantle, it ended up being a heartbreaking day for them as they missed out on a maiden finals appearance. They did. You got a feel for St Kilda here. You know, they've had a great season in general. We've mentioned it a few times. They started off with four losses, then they went on to get four wins and a, and a further couple of wins after that. They had a great win over over Carlton here at Icon Park. They had to sweat and watch another game, as you've mentioned, to see if they made the finals and they missed out narrowly by 4%. So, we mentioned this on an ongoing basis, how important score lines and winning margins are and stuff because it does come down to percentage on such a short season. So this was their fifth season. They'd never qualified for finals. Um, so they've missed out again. So they're going to be desperately disappointed with that. But 
on the plus side, I suppose, for St. Kilda, it is their best season to date. They've, they've finished ninth. They've six wins for the season. In this particular game, they were better and deserved the win, but Carlton were definitely up for the challenge early. Uh, but Saints really kicked off in the second quarter. Georgia Patricius, uh, with 25 disposals for them on the wing was their standout. Um, but yeah, look at a great win for them, but it'll be small consolation. They didn't make the finals, which is what they would have wanted to do. Um, this game featured Grace Kelly, uh, with 14 disposals. So she's been solid all year for St. Kilda. And on the blue side, we had Aaron Fitzpatrick, but she was forced to leave that game with a knee injury. So we're hoping that. Uh, that's not going to be anything too serious. And also Dana Finn missed out in this game uh, due to receiving a one-match suspension after round nine, actually, for what was deemed a dangerous tackle. So she uh, becomes the only Irish player to pick up a suspension this year and missed out on round 10. But yeah, um, a good win for St. Kilda, but ultimately they miss out on a few percentage points from that much wanted first finals appearance yes and that's a good summation of it cruel for St Kilda not being able to make the top 8 base just on 4% of a difference between them and the Sydney Swans we'll talk about Sydney very shortly before we finish up with Sydney in the Fremantle game we do need to talk about another significant result and this was Collingwood being defeated by Richmond at Victoria Park 77-25 now the Collingwood Magpies Irish as we know all season have been Cerro and Ashling Sheridan but Richmond Mike, coming in here and dashing Collingwood's finals chances, but the manner in which they did it as well, um, I did not see this coming. I don't think anybody did. No, this was the, I suppose, the shock result of the round. Richmond Tigers were not in contention for finals. Collingwood had to come here and win. You would have anticipated that they would do that, but it turned out to be a massive win for the Tigers at Victoria Park, Collingwood's home ground. Um, again, it seems to be a lot of these teams pulled out one massive performance for their last game of the season to finish on a high. And that was definitely uh, what Tigers did here. You know, it was the manner of the win that was surprising. It was their best performance of the season. It was their highest ever AFLW score. The game was actually reasonably close in the first half with Collingwood keeping just in front. Uh, but they were, they needed to build a couple of goals of, um, a margin for percentage as well. And they didn't get too far in front of Tigers at any stage, but. It was then the Tigers that started to dam- dominate from then in with some of the big names to the four. Katie Brennan had two goals. Monique Conte in the midfield was brilliant with 34 disposals. Uh, but overall, yeah, a, a deserving win for the Tigers. They had 22 scores to five for Collingwood, including seven goals in the final quarter, which really pushed that margin out but uh, and effectively pushed Collingwood out of, of finals. So both these teams played finals last season. None of them will play finals this season. So it just goes to show how fortunes can change quickly. From an Irish point of view, Ashling Sheridan was brilliant. She had her best game of the season. 20 disposals, three marks, six tackles, eight clearances. Um, so she was playing through the middle midfield a lot. And again, Sarah also featuring uh, not as busy as normal, but still a very solid game with 12 disposals for her. But the Irish Magpie season is done and Collingwood season is done. And that's probably one of the shocks of the of the round. Absolutely it is. And look, fair play to Sarah Rowe and Ashing Sheridan. They gave it their all this year for the Magpies and played at a consistently high level. But yes, Richmond, the, the manner and the size of the win, I think was a big headline grabber for me and disappointment for Collingwood missing out on a top eight and finals finish. But one club that did not miss out on a top eight and into the finals are Sydney. The Sydney Swans defeating Fremantle 40-18 at the Fremantle Community Bank Oval. Now the Fremantle Dockers Irish for this season have been Anya Tigor, Lally, Amy Mulholland and Joanne Craig but the Sydney Swans Irish, Jennifer Higgins, Paris McCarthy, Julia Sullivan and Tanya Kennedy delight for them because 
they qualify for a first ever AFLW finals appearance by virtue of the 22 point defeat over Fremantle which meant they finished 8th and just ahead of St Kilda but only just Mike ahead of St Kilda but a fantastic fantastic moment for the Irish players on that Sydney Swans roster Amazing achievement a huge achievement for them you know to make finals in their second season obviously Essendon have done the same thing as an expansion team from last year but you have to remember Sydney were winless last year. It could not win a game across the season. Now, we know that was on foot of a very tight turnaround in terms of getting their list together and all of that. And we did a lot of work with Sydney in getting those Irish players over there this season. And they were really viewing this as their first season um, de facto. And from day one, and when we were looking at these Irish players, they were talking about making finals. So they've uh, achieved what they've set out to. But it went right down to the wire. This game was tight and tense. Sydney knew they needed to win. Um, Fremantle were out of contention, but they weren't going to obviously just let Swans roll over them. It was an arm wrestle from start to finish. There was nothing in it across three-quarters time. Swans were just three points up at three-quarter time, but then a three-goal surge in the final quarter secured that win for the Swans. Not without some controversy as well in this game. There was a, The Dockers were denied a game in the third quarter after Michaela Tuccarina, who was a brilliantly exciting fast player, struck uh, a goal but it hit the goal umpire and he deemed that it would have hit the post but on review which they didn't have the benefit of at the game unfortunately it would have been a clear goal and that would have put the Dockers nine point up but these are the little things that that turn seasons and turn games and as it turns out the Swans uh, drove on from there Uh, Chloe Malai was brilliant again a star for them all season and in terms of the Irish players Tanya Kennedy was the best of the Irish. She was doing a, a, a man-marking defensive job on Kira Bowers, who was one of the stars for Dockers, our tagging role, as they call it. She had 18 disposals, uh, four tackles, four clearances, absolutely outstanding, and nullified the, the effect of Bowers. And the game also featured Julia Sullivan. And on the Dockers' side then, Orla Lally was the best of the Irish. There, 14 disposals and five tackles for her. Uh, Amy Mulholland and Joanne Craig both featured, which was good to see because they missed some games due to injury recently. And Anya Tai, although named to start originally, was managed and did not play. She's had some new soreness across the last couple of rounds. So I'd say just with finals contentions gone, Fremantle were minding their Irish star, rightfully so. She's been brilliant for them all year. But yeah, this, I suppose, is one of the stories of the round that Sydney Swans are in the finals in their first season. And they'll be absolutely delighted with that. Some turnaround. Um from where they were last season to this to reach uh, finish in the top eight fantastic news for all four Irish there Jennifer Higgins Paris McCarthy Julia Sullivan Tony Kennedy Sydney Swans are in that is eighth that's the roundup uh, of round 10 the pride round in the AFLW season what it means is we now have a final regular season ladder before we head into the finals before we take a look at those upcoming um, elimination and uh, qualifying final games this coming weekend let's just take a final check on that ladder uh, in first position with nine wins and one loss from their ten games the Adelaide Crows in imperious form finishing top on 36 points then the Melbourne Demons in second on 32 with 8 wins and 2 losses the North Melbourne Kangaroos in third alongside Brisbane who had that brilliant win in round 10 both finishing on 28 points they round off the top 4 um, and then the remaining 4 in the top 8 uh, Gold Coast fantastic season for the Suns on 26 points and then a clutch of clubs on 24 Geelong Essendon and Sydney rounding off the top 8 and St Kilda in ninth, missing out by 4 percentage points also on 24 points but they won't be in the final series the Remainder of the ladder, Richmond in 10th on 20 alongside Collingwood, a very disappointing return for Collingwood. In 12th, Carlton Blues on 16 alongside Freo. And then we've got the Hawks on 12 uh, on twelve points. Port Adelaide on 10, Great, uh, Sydney uh, GW 
Giants on eight, West Coast on eight, and the Bulldogs on four. What all that means is once the regu- uh, the final ladder of the regular uh, Premier season, we move now to this coming weekend and the AFLW's finals week one, which starts on Saturday the 11th of November with the first qualifying final between the Adelaide Crows and the Brisbane Lions at Norwood Oval. What a game that's going to be. Then we have an elimination final. The Gold Coast Suns and the Sydney Swans takes place at Heritage Bank Stadium. On to Sunday and another second elimination final. This one between the Geelong Cats and the Essendon Bombers will take place at the GMHBA Stadium. And finally, rounding off what will be a very exciting weekend, the second qualifying final. What a game at Icon Park to look forward to a derby between the Melbourne Demons and the North Melbourne Kangaroos. Mike, take us through these four games and what the significance of each one means, both as qualifying and elimination finals. Oh, look at every one of them is intriguing, I suppose. So, so what happens, we've got our top eight teams, the top four teams play off against each other in what's called the qualifying finals. So one plays four and two plays three. So these are called the double chance finals. So whoever wins these two qualifying finals goes straight through to the preliminary final, which is the game before the grand final. We'd call that a semi-final, but we can't because there's actually a semi-final here as well. But um, that's the significance of that. So we get to see the top four teams going at each other again, which is incredible for the, for the fans and us here at home. Uh, what it means is two teams will progress straight to the preliminary finals the two teams that lose that game will get a second chance in the semi-finals where they'll play the winners of the elimination finals. If you're confused, yes, <laughs> that's understandable. The two elimination finals mean exactly that. Whoever loses those two games are done. So um it's an intriguing setup. You know, if you look through, every game has something there. Adelaide Crows versus Brisbane Lions at Norwood Oval in a qualifying final. This is intriguing. You know, six players coming back after that rest for Crows that we mentioned earlier including the likes of Chelsea Randall, Ann Hatcher, Stevie Lee Thompson, absolutely brilliant players. But also bear in mind, Brisbane are the only team to defeat Adelaide this season. And um, Crows will want to make amends for that and jump straight into that preliminary final. And Brisbane are coming off that massive win over Melbourne. So they'll have the momentum and bounce from that. So that is going to be an absolute cracker. Um, in terms of the elimination final, then Gold Coast Suns versus Sydney Swans. Again, Scott Gowan's head coach, the Sydney Swans, have already stated that they're on a shot to nothing here. Probably nobody expects them to go past the first weekend of finals. They've nothing to lose. They've pulled off some massive wins all season. As we know, uh, Gold Coast Suns are also playing incredibly well. Uh, this game will be up in Queensland at the Heritage Bank Stadium, so it's a home game for Gold Coast Suns. So, again, you'd think Suns would be slightly fancy for this, but the way the, the Swans have turned around some results this season, it wouldn't be an outrageous shock if they did get over Gold Coast in this one. So that's going to be exciting as well. And then the other elimination final, Geelong versus Essendon. As we've mentioned, Geelong were here in finals last year and they just lost out by a very small margin. I think three points to North Melbourne. Um, Essendon are in their first finals, uh, but Essendon were pushing the top four up to a couple of weeks ago as well. So these two teams are very close together in, in all the major stats across the season. Um, It'll be intriguing to see how it goes. This game is on down in Geelong and both these teams will fancy their chances. And then the final game of final week round one, Melbourne versus not Melbourne. Always a classic at Icon Park. Um, you know, these teams only played a couple two weeks ago, I think in round eight and Melbourne won that one by 23 points. Um, but we also mentioned the last time we were on that North now have lost 14 of their last 16 games against the other top three sides, Adelaide Crows, Brisbane and Melbourne. So this is a stat that they're going to need to break uh, sooner rather than later 
they do have the double chance here, but they'd love to get over Melbourne and get into that preliminary final. But again, Melbourne are the defending champions. They're going to be smarting after that loss to Brisbane and missing out on the minor premiership. So this could go either way as well. You know, they met in the preliminary final last year. I was at that game in Icon Park. It was an absolute classic. Went down to the last couple of minutes. So every game in finals is going to be exciting. Week one is going to serve up four massive games and two game, two teams will be out and two teams will be straight into preliminary finals. Yes, I think you you couldn't tee it up any better, Mike. So much look forward to this weekend. So many twists and turns in those elimination finals. I'm certainly looking forward to it because it's do or die. And uh, the qualifying finals, as you said, once the top four, there's never a bad game with those top four, Adelaide, Melbourne, North Melbourne and Brisbane, the four form teams of AFLWs this season. Cannot wait for those games. I cannot wait to dissect them with you next week. Before we finish, though, we have some very, very important business to attend to. Not alone talk about the Irish Player of the Week, the AFLW Irish Player of the Week and the AF over in Australia, but also to announce the overall AFLW Irish Player of the Year. Let's talk about this past week first. Yeah, so for round 10, the AFLW Irish Player of the Year is Ashton Sheridan from Collingwood. Uh, we mentioned earlier she had her best game of the season despite Collingwood going down. She was absolutely brilliant for them. In fairness, she's been brilliant all season. Um, so she takes out the award for round 10 and a great finish to the season for her. Next up in second was Yvonne Bonner. Um, great to see her there. You know, uh, we mentioned back after injury and having an immediate impact back up front. And then we have Orla Dwyer, Eric O'Shea, Orla Lally, um, Ashmack and Anya McDonough. So a number of players that have features quite regularly there. Most notably Orla Lally and Eric O'Shea. They've had a, a, an astounding season, particularly the second half of this season. But what that means uh, is that we now know who the AFLW Irish Player of the Year for 2023 is. And that is Neve Kelly, uh, who has finished on 730 points, an incredible total, an incredible season for Neve, uh, despite being uh, given less game time in round 10. She has been superb from, from round one all the way through. Highlights throughout, she's picked up uh, player of the match awards on numerous occasions. Her speed and skill and goal kicking have been exhilarating to watch. So absolutely deserving winner uh, is Neve Kelly. Uh, in second place, just 15 points behind, 715 points was Sarah Rowe. It's been a race between the two of those for the last three or four weeks in fairness. Um, so another consistently brilliant season for Sarah Rowe. In third place is Ash Mack from West Coast Eagles. Um, again, what can we say? Week in and week out, it's been a, a brilliant season for her. In fourth, Ola Edouard. Fifth, Blaine Mackin. Anya Tai, despite missing two rounds, finishes sixth with 510 points. And rounding out, uh, number seven is Anya McDonough. And then we have Ashley Sheridan, Eric O'Shea, Aileen Gilroy. So huge names um, and very exciting right to the end. But congratulations, Neve Kelly. Very deserving to be AFLW Irish Player of the Year for season 2023. And I can only echo those sentiments. It's the name that kept cropping up week after week in a crowded field, along with Sarah Rowe and all those other con- contenders. But congratulations to the Adelaide Rose, Neve Kelly, overall Irish player, AFLW Irish, Ireland Irish Player of the Year for this AFLW season. Congrats to her. Fully, fully deserved. That wraps it up for what was a mammoth week and weekend of AFLW action. But we are far, far from finished because next week we'll have Mike Grant back here on the Big Red Bench to review the finals weekend, first finals weekend, two qualifying finals, two elimination finals, lots of headlines coming out of those as well. Can't wait to talk to Mike about that. But for now, Mike Grant, thanks very much for joining us on the Big Red Bench. Thanks very much, Jerry. Looking forward to it. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM.
Cork Red FM's resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, joins me on the big red bench to provide analysis, comment and her expert opinion on this past weekend's Brazilian Grand Prix, including another win for Max Verstappen and Red Bull, trouble at Mercedes and Aston Martin's end of season revival. The Brazilian Grand Prix is in the record books and Max Verstappen yet again in the Red Bull has come in in first place. But there was lots and lots of talking points coming out of the weekend's action. So there's only one person to turn to and that is the Cork Street FM Big Red Bench resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley. Sarah, how are you? Good, thanks. I'm good. I'm a bit sore, which we're going to talk about <laughs> because of how my... My old pal, Sir Lewis Hamilton, did this My weekend. But... pal. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about him, all right. We're definitely going to talk about him. Before we talk about Max Verstappen, who extended the record-winning streak, uh, let me just read you something here. Verstappen delivered a controlled, dominant run from pole to flag. Untroubled in Brazil as he swept to another victory, comfortably beat the McLaren of Lando Norris into second place, and he asked the Martin of Fernando Alonso into third after the Spaniard delivered a highlight of the race with a mighty tussle with Sergio Perez, who was fourth. So, Verstappen doing Verstappen things, but what about Sergio Perez? Because... Um, a lot of eyeballs on him this weekend. And did he deliver, Sarah? I mean, he had an absolute nightmare at home in Mexico, didn't he? I mean, we were talking the week before and saying how much he, you know, really needed that home result of any sort. And it was so terrible. And you were just sort of questioning everything that he's ever done because he just was so unlike his himself. And then we had, as you just mentioned, there that last lap battle with Fernando Alonso, there was no ridiculous lunges. There was, you know, patience. He was calculated. And it looked like the Sergio of old, which was really nice to see. But you do just have to wonder, can he can he create some sort of consistency in that performance? Because we've seen him have highlights earlier in the year and then not be able to create that consistency, which is a problem. So I really hope, you know, it's two races left in the season. I'm like, come on, hang on in there, Sergio. We need to we need to see him redeem himself a little bit. You know, whether he stays on or not, I think he just doesn't want to end things on a negative note, regardless of whether it's the season or his broader career in F1. Yes, and I think that's fair and balanced. But history has shown us that when there's a dominant world champion in a car like Verstappen is in this particular version of the Red Bull and Adrian Newey's design, the other driver it tends to be second mm. at the very worst third. So the, the equipment is clearly there. Um, so the, the gap between himself and Max, every time Max goes off into the distance, it just makes Sergio look that bit worse. And I do think there are drivers on that grid who could bring that home second and even get within a bit of touching distance of Max at a certain point. We don't know until we see them go in there, but I'm thinking of Piastri. Uh, I'm thinking mm. of Norris. I'm thinking of uh, even George Russell, you know. I think they would be unafraid of Verstappen. And I think they would do a better job than Checo Perez. But is his job on the line in the final two races? I mean, if he finishes fifth and sixth, you know, and Max brings it home, you know, which it looks like is going to happen, do you see him in that Red Bull seat uh, next season? I wouldn't be very confident. I think particularly if he loses that second place in the championship to Lewis Hamilton, I think the Mercedes poor performance this weekend saved him in a way. And, you know, he made it even better by having a strong performance himself because theoretically speaking, Lewis could have really put him under pressure this weekend, but that didn't happen. So I think, you know, there's rumors in F1 all the time, but there were reports that came out recently that said if, if Perez were to lose P2 in the driver's championship, then that was kind of the straw that would break the camel's back for Red Bull. 
it doesn't make sense given their dominance, as you said, to have any other result than a Red Bull 1-2 this year. So I think if that's not what happens, they're going to be they're going to be very upset. And let's be honest, they're not the most patient of people. God, no. Nobody is in Formula 1, but that's a fair point. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see him next year. I think, depending on contracts and who's signed up where, most are already signed up, but these things can be changed at a whim if there's a... Mm-hmm. You saw how quickly Daniel Ricciardo came back in. So these things, I, I don't generally believe that drivers are set for next year. If the Red Bull second seat becomes available, everybody's going to want it bar one or two. Mm-hmm. So I think we will watch this space definitely over the next two races. It's one of the few interesting things left with Red Bull in the remainder of the season is how does Checo do? Hopefully he can do something. Now, another team we have talked about a lot this season and have finally seemed to found their groove again are Aston Martin because according to yourself, Sarah, they went back to basics and it worked. Yeah, I mean, we saw obviously Alonso back on the podium and even Lance Stroll's pace across the weekend showed promise and typically he isn't able to to get that performance out of the car. So it was interesting because they ditched their upgrades, essentially. They gave up on the upgrades that they've been introducing during the season and they returned to their prior setup. It was sort of a hybrid spec of the car, so it was a mixture of old and new parts and they didn't give any official comment, obviously, on what they changed, but it looked like at least old side pods, maybe some floor fences were also on the old side of things. So I think it's interesting because we've seen them and certainly McLaren and also Mercedes try to emulate or go in their own direction in an effort to catch Red Bull And this is just another example of where it hasn't worked. And it's so interesting because you have to wonder what is the secret sauce? You know, what, what is it? Why is it that these other engineers that are these other designers, these other aerodynamicists, why can't they create something that's going to challenge that car? And it's just really interesting to see teams actually just reverse what should have been progress in order to to get some results. It's completely counterintuitive, but in this case for Aston Martin, it's obviously worked. Yeah, and you wonder where Aston Martin would have been, Sarah, if they had stuck mm. to what they had. And that's going to be the big question mark now. Was it the downforce in this particular circuit? It's quite a twisty circuit. Um, is that more suited to the Aston Martin? I don't know, but... Whatever about Alonso, we know how good Alonso is. We know he's won before, but Stroll, a completely different driver this weekend. And if mm-hmm. he could have been even any bit more consistent, they'd be further up that constructor's table. They would. I think it's really hard in Formula One because there's so much money gets invested in these upgrades and you have to at least test them. But yes, I think there probably will, as they're reviewing their season as a whole, there will be questions that will have to be asked. Should we have given up on them sooner? You know, why why weren't we willing to take that potential risk? And, you know, there's no point crying over spilt milk to a degree, but equally, yes, it would have meant a lot more points potentially and also potentially less scrutiny of Lance Stroll because if a lot of it with him is definitely driver error, but we don't know if we've been overly harsh because look at what he did, you know, the improvements that we saw with that car. So it is, it's very hard to judge. And I think there's just so much money riding on every decision that it it just feels you know, everything is high stakes and, you know, similar to Sergio Perez trying to end the season on a good note, but, you know, Aston Martin are going to be trying to eke as many points as possible out of these last two races. Yeah, but it's, it is good to see them back and being competitive. And if it means taking a step back in terms of what they thought was development of the car, it looked 
take it because if you can get more points on the board between now and the end of the season it's going to do the, be all the better for them uh, next year we finish our review um, of the Brazilian Grand Prix uh, with Mercedes and I know how anxious you are to talk about this let me just read you something from the Guardian online that's where I got this Toto Wolf has said Mercedes' worst performance on his watch as team principal mm. proves that the team must make whole design changes for next season Hamilton finished 8th uh, at Sunday's Brazilian Grand Prix more than a minute behind race winner Max Verstappen while George Russell retired with an engine failure whilst he was only running in 11th far from being any closer to Verstappen's all-conquering Red Bull Mercedes were slower than McLaren Aston Martin Ferrari and the mid-table at Alpine in Sao Paulo with Pierre Gasly in particular embarrassing the former world champions by battling Hamilton and Russell aside please discuss Sarah what in the name of God went wrong the scariest part is they don't actually know mm. because another thing that Toto revealed in, I mean, he was exasperated really is the only way to describe him in, in any of the post-race interviews. He actually revealed that they considered changing the entire setup for the race and starting from the pit lane, but they didn't actually know what to change in their own car. It's That is the frightening bit. You know, you're asking the question of what happened. They don't know. And it's been this, this has been the story. This has been the, the line for the last two seasons, you know, two steps forward, one step back. And it's just, again, it doesn't really make any sense. And I think they, they're just going to face some really difficult challenges, I think, with their drivers going forward, because how do you manage, you know, someone that's shooting for a record eighth world title? but isn't being given the machinery to do so. And then someone who is trying to launch their career in what should have been a, you know, a promising car and is now making him look average. It's just, you know, even the period during the race where people were saying they should have left George Russell past Lewis Hamilton, they were both as slow as each other. It actually wouldn't have mattered. They both fell back. Obviously Russell ended up retiring but it didn't matter. And that's that's the worst part is that had Russell gone past, would he have flown up the standings? No. And it's just, it is dire straits, I think, for Mercedes. It certainly is. I was astounded at how poor and how slow the pace was, as you said, and correctly said, you make a good point, even if Russell had gone past Hamilton, the pace wouldn't have been there anyway. And uh, But it's just this admission by Toto Wolff. He's not a man averse to... Headlines. I mean, if you see him in the Netflix series, he's just a, he's mm. you know he is what he is. He's 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 very straight and he he doesn't there's very little filter on him. And I I don't think this was headline grabbing. I think this was an honest assessment of where Mercedes are at and that they don't know where they're at and they have an awful lot of thinking and money to spend if they're going to get anywhere near that Red Bull next year. And if I'm Red Bull and I'm Adrian Newey, I'm not changing that car. I mean, I'm making obvious, you, you try and make enhancements or grand, but I'm not changing much of it because if your second best team on the grid is this far behind you, you've nothing to worry about, do you? It's, yeah, it's funny because if you were to look at the standings, it doesn't look like it's been that up and down for Mercedes it looks like you know okay there there's a big delta but they still look like best of the rest but it doesn't feel like that at all to them um partially because they haven't been able to get any any grip on the car any sense of consistency and like I say how do you build on something that's constantly moving it's it's you know it's a moving goalpost essentially um and it's a it's one that they themselves are supposed to be in control of, and they just aren't. And 
Mike Elliott is now departed as well and I don't blame him. The man must be <laughs> utterly exhausted. I, I'll be very interested to see who they bring in because it's a huge project. You know, it is an absolutely huge project and there is pressure for them to perform both from inside the team and from outside the team. And it's going to be really disappointing if they come back again next year and it's year three of disappointment. It's just not going to be good enough. It most certainly isn't. The Brazilian Grand Prix, as we said, is in the books. The winner, Max Verstappen, with 25 points, a time of 1 hour 56 and 4 uh, minutes. <clears throat> Second place in the McLaren was Lando Norris. Third, Fernando Alonso in the Aston Martin. Fourth, Checo Perez in the Red Bull. And fifth, Lance Stroll in the other Aston Martin. The standings after all that, Max Verstappen is already champion. He's nearly twice the points of his teammate Sergio Perez who was just about holding off he's got 258 points but Hamilton and the Mercedes is 226 it looks like he's going to hold him off now by virtue of the fact that the Mercedes seems to be slowing down Fernando Alonso back up to fourth on 198 points three ahead of Lando Norris and McLaren and in the Constructors Championship Red Bull out on top um, at the top of the table champions again 782 Mercedes on 382 are now only uh 20 ahead of Ferrari on 362. So some interesting uh, times there in the final couple of races that are coming up. McLaren in fourth and Aston Martin in fifth. Between now and November 19th, when the next Grand Prix, the uh, penultimate Grand Prix of the season takes place in Las Vegas on the 19th of November, where can we find your Formula One online content, Sarah? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at MacTweets underscore. And you can also find me on YouTube at Sarah McKenzie F1 as well. Excellent stuff. We'll talk to you again next week, Sarah. Thank you. The Big Red Bet. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Monster Women's Hockey Pierrot Graham Catchball is back on the Big Red Bench to review the latest rounds of the 2023-24 Monster Women's Hockey season. Graham provides results and scores from all the recent Women's EY1 and Women's Monster Division 1 games involving all the Monster teams. We also look ahead to this weekend's Monster Women's Hockey matches and Graham also has news of the Irish Senior Women's Hockey Team's 2024 Olympic qualifying draw. Now it's that time of the weekend where we get a roundup and review of all things Monster Women's Hockey, so there's only one man to talk to, and that is the Monster Hockey PRO, Graham Catchball, who joins us once again here on the Big Red Bench. Graham, how are you? I'm good, Jordan. Yourself? Not too bad, no at all. Not too bad. Good to talk hockey again before we get our usual roundup of the EY, Women's EY1 and the Monster uh, Leagues. Uh, we're going to talk, first of all, something, a bit of news that broke today about Ireland's and the Irish women's hockey team's potential route to next year's Olympics. So um, you can explain to us, first of all, Ireland know that they've been drawn in a group of, or there's eight countries that will be going to Valencia in, er, Valencia in early January. Um, you might just run through the teams and the countries that are in uh, Ireland's side of the draw and explain what Ireland might have to do to get to the Olympics. Yeah, so so Ireland have been drawn in, in pool A of, of two pools um, for the, the Olympic qualifiers. Um, so the, they've been drawn in, in, in a pool with Belgium, Great Britain, uh, Spain, Korea, uh, Canada, Malaysia and, and Ukraine. And the way this will work would be there'll be uh, two groups of, of four teams um, that play against each other in, in their groups and then there'll be a semi-final and a final. Um, the top three teams will qualify automatically for the for the for the uh, Paris Olympics. Um, so Ireland will be hoping, I suppose, to to get through the group stages in first or second, and and then I suppose either win their semi final and, and guarantee qualification, or go into a third place playoff and hopefully win that. 
Um, so look, some some very high quality teams in 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 the in the pool, but uh, Pool B, I suppose, is is just as strong, um, and and would have meant that they would have been playing <laughs> abroad in India. So mm. I think they'll be quite happy with uh, with the with the qualifier being in in Valencia and being that bit closer. Yeah, that's a good explanation of it. Thanks for that. As you said, um, between the 13th and 21st of January 2024, Ireland will be one of eight countries, Belgium, Great Britain, Spain, Korea, Canada, Malaysia and Ukraine in Valencia. And out of those eight, three will qualify for the Paris Olympics in 2024. Just so you know, in Pool B, between the 13th and the 19th of January, Ireland will not have not been drawn in that particular group and won't be travelling to India. But the countries that will are Germany, India, New Zealand, Japan, Chile, United States, Italy and the Czech Republic. And some well-known names, as hockey fans will know, like the Netherlands and Australia, are not listed there because they've already qualified so this is Ireland's chance uh, Graham. depending on the draw in the group there's some big hitters in there anyone that you would like to avoid <laughs> um, in the group stages if you could from an Irish point of view yeah I think Ireland will be familiar with a, with a lot of these teams. Um, I, I suppose Belgium and Great Britain will be the, the highest ranked, uh, two mm. teams there for sure. And, and look, Belgium have, have seen a massive growth in the sports, both in the men's and the women's over the last couple of years and are, are really, I suppose, thriving. So we, we want to avoid them. Um, while we know Great Britain very, very well and have played them a lot, um, maybe the results recently against them haven't, haven't been in our favor. So I know they have a very strong program going and, and some good talent coming through so probably want to maybe avoid avoid both of them at the, the early stages um, Spain is a team we know very very well and um, look will be the home nation and the host nation uh, for the tournament but um, Ireland have had some very positive results against them recently Korea we've probably played a small bit less um, recently and, and I suppose the, the Asian style of hockey is, is a very interesting one they like to play on the counter attack so It'll be a style Ireland maybe uh, might not be might not be familiar or used to as as, as much, um, but would would fancy their chances against them. Uh, Canada, uh, I suppose. Look, we 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 mm-hmm. qualified for the Olympics last time by beating Canada in 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 Dublin, and now that was very close. Um, but uh, like again, I think we should have the measure of them. And with Malaysia and Ukraine, um, look, they, 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 I suppose Ukraine probably the weakest group, or weakest team in the group there. Um, Malaysia, again, similar to Korea, have a, have a different style of hockey um, and, and could, be a, could be a potential banana skin if we do have to have to meet them. Excellent stuff. Well, we look forward to that draw in the coming weeks. We'll get a bit more information once uh, it comes to hand and we'll uh, certainly be focusing on it in the new year. And best of luck to Ireland in that. Heading to Valencia between the 13th and 21st of January in Pool A of the Hockey Olympic Qualifiers for Paris in 2024. We will wish the Irish team all the best there. Now we turn to domestic matters and uh, some results uh, both from the EY1 involving Catholic Institute and also uh, from the previous week as well uh, from the Munster uh, Women's Hockey Division 1. Let's start with a result uh, a bit a game involving Ashton and Church of Ireland. Yeah, so, so so the week before last, I suppose a midweek game between Ashton and Church of Ireland, two clubs I suppose vying for for kind of third spot I suppose at at, at the moment. Um, Ashton coming out five one winners over over Church of Ireland, um, which is a a big victory for them, um, and and look puts them up to, into third in the table at the moment. Um, last weekend then, uh, just in in EY one. Uh, Catholic Institute lost uh, 2-1 to, to Monkstown at home. Um, again, a very, very close match as, as we're seeing in EY1. There's a lot of close matches this year, which kind of puts Institute, I suppose, in, in, in a mid-table position at the moment, but maybe slightly looking over their, their shoulders, maybe, um, uh, uh, currently. Um, look, hopefully, I think that they'll be able to turn, turn things around and, and we'll, we'll probably be aiming still for those, uh, those top four places come the end of the season. 
Um, also in Munster Division One over the weekend, um, Ashton again were in action. Um, they they lost to to UCC four one, so UCC keeping their their perfect record. Um, likewise, Harlequins had, were four 0 winners over Bandon, again keeping their perfect record intact. So we have UCC and uh, and and Harlequins, I suppose, uh, sitting at the top of the table, both on five wins out of five and fifteen points. Um, in the other games, um, C of I um, beat uh, Waterford three two, and a Crescent had a good away win against Blackrock two 0 Yes, uh, excellent stuff there, as you said. And just taking a look at uh, the EY One League, firstly with Catholic Institute, as you said, like um, Loretto running away with that league, maximum points 18, Railway Union, the other strong team in that division on 15. But from Pembroke Wanderers in third on 11 points, all Alex, Ulster Alex, and UCD down to Catholic Institute. It's only four points in it. So if Catholic Institute can pick off a win and gain a bit of momentum, they are still very, very much in the hunt for a top four finish and semi final place there, Graham. Yeah, it's it, it's it's incredibly close this year. Um, looking at the results again last weekend, you know, and just a goal between teams again. Mm. So, um, look fully expect the the I suppose that that to continue throughout the entire season. Um, issue from what I understand, maybe one or two injuries as well at the moment, and one or two players coming back. So, look fully expect that. To uh, to improve over the course of the season as well, so have no doubt they'll be in the in the mix for the top four places at, at, at come the end of the year. Excellent stuff. And in the Munster Division One League, obviously Cork Harlequins in UCC maximum points each. We thought this was the way it was going to go. It is going that way, yeah. fifteen points each. But the rest of the league is quite tight. Ashton Crescent, Blackrock, and Waterford only separated again by four points. Churchward and Bandon still looking to find a bit of form, but they've each got games. Bandon and Waterford have got games in hand. But those top two yeah. Harlequins in UCC seriously good consistency so far from the clubs yeah they, they, they look unstoppable at the moment I was um, I was at the UCC and, and Ashton uh, game at the weekend and UCC are, are, are I suppose hitting form now um, a couple of games into the season always takes a couple of games to, to I suppose gel a new group um, and, and, and certainly it looks like they're st- Starting to to gel and and certainly the fitness towards the end of the game definitely told as as they 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 um put Ashton to the sword I suppose um but yeah I mean it's 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 still going to be interesting I mean we we do have a a game between Quinns and UCC before Christmas so very much mm. looking forward to that game um and once EY two starts as well you know it'll it'll um it'll I suppose make Harlequins and UCC um you know yeah, be working that bit extra hard. As, I suppose in having extra games, so look, there will be opportunities for for the other clubs, I suppose, to catch them and and, and also maybe you know catch them at a week they might be a small bit um, tired, I suppose, from from the EY two games as well. Yeah, they should be some seriously good games uh, towards the end of the season, as you said, moving on to EY two as well. Looking forward to that Harlequins UCC one. Um, the fixtures for the coming week, there's some really interesting ones uh, coming up both on Thursday night and at the weekend. Yeah, so, so UCC travelled to Bandon on, on Thursday evening. Um, again, it, it, it look, it won't be easy. Bandon have, um, maybe started the season a small bit slower this year, but, um, certainly they, they have quality there in the likes of Ingrid Burns and, and, um, Olivia Roycroft, um, and Rachel Barry in goal as well will be, will be, will be a tough one to, to get by. So UCC could be in for frustrating year. Evening, maybe in in um in in Bandon Grammar School, if they if they don't get get out of the blocks quickly, um on Saturday then um is Church of Ireland host host Bandon, so it's a busy few days for for Bandon. Again, look, those two teams will be very evenly matched. It could be a very very close affair. Um, and Ashton travelled to to Crescent again. Crescent, who came up last year, have been have been going very very well this year for their first season at this level. Um, so Ashton will will have to travel strong down to them. Um, in the other match, then Waterford uh, host Blackrock again. 
two teams that are going to be very, very evenly matched and expect a very tight game there. Yes, uh, as you said, it hasn't been many it hasn't been many goals between any of the matches thus, thus far this season, and certainly the way things are going. Each of those games over the weekend, if you get a chance to go and look at them, you should certainly do so. Uh, we will review all those uh, fixtures again next week here with Graham. But before we finish up, a quick check on the goal scorers charts—a thing that a lot of people are very interested in each week. And just outside the top ten, there's a clutch of players on three goals: Cleanus Sargent from Harlequins, Kira Sexton, Churchvern, and Robin Murphy from UCC. Then we've got Nikki Barry and Michaela Sanderson, both from UCC, on four goals along with Yvonne O'Byrne from Harlequins uh, Faye Graham from Crescent and Emily O'Leary from Ashton and then Abby O'Mahony of UCC is having a really good season she's on five goals as is Olivia Roycroft from Bandon Michelle Barry is second in the table from Harlequins with six but out in front still out in front four ahead of the chasing back the uh, the excellent Beth Ann O'Farrell enjoying a fantastic season in a Harlequins jersey on ten goals it's going to be very hard to unseat her before the season is out uh, Graham. Yeah, I think so. Um, probably disappointed she didn't get a goal now last weekend, but um, that that's how high the standard is 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 been set with her so far this year. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting now once uh, once EY two kicks off to see whether whether Quinns and uh, can, can can I suppose keep the form that they've had this year um, in, in the early stages. They seem to be seem to be the team to beat. I know UCC are going well, but uh, Quinns Quinns seem to be the team to beat. They're really putting teams to the sword this year. So. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting when when UCC and, and Harlequins meet just to see see where both teams are at and, and EY2 will make it interesting as well. It certainly will. Lots and lots to look forward to on the Munster women's hockey scene. But for now, uh, here on the Big Red Bench, once again, Graham Cashwell, thanks very, very much for your time. Thanks, Chair. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan joined me on this week's Cork's Red FM Big Red Bench to review the Irish women's WXV3 victory over Spain in Dubai. Wendy also has all the latest women's AIL results involving Munster Clubs, UL Bohemians and Ballon Colleague, news of the Munster Women's Adult Leagues, a review of last weekend's Munster Youth Leagues results and try scores, and an update from the Munster Women's Development Squads. Now, let's talk rugby and to do that here with us on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench, we're joined as ever by our resident uh, rugby expert uh, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Thanks, Mill. I'm great, sir. How are you keeping? Not too bad, not too bad as ever. It's a busy, busy, busy time on the Munster women's rugby scene. But before we talk about the women's AIL and the domestic scene, let's talk first about Ireland and uh, the Irish women's team uh, securing a big comeback victory over Spain out in Dubai. First of all, a uh, fantastic victory when went in a great way to end their time in Dubai. But the significance of the victory, I suppose, is the big thing coming out of this and what it means for the Irish senior women's rugby team. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's it's a good news story. It's all good news. You know, um, they had a big comeback to win 15-13 over Spain. That leaves them with three wins from three. Anybody that wouldn't be following them, they were playing in Dubai in the WXVs. They're in Tier 3. Look, it gives them a great base now, doesn't it, to go forward from the Six Nations. They were 13-3 behind at half time, But two tries um, scored from Malls, actually, by uh, Grace Moore and Neil Jones brought them right back in it and, and they went on to win that match. But as you mentioned... You know, what does it mean from the new coach has had an opportunity to look at lots of new players um, over the three games. You know, the, the win against Spain, I suppose, was, was the big one. You know, the, the opposition probably weren't up to what they're used to in, in the first two matches, if I put it like that. But what does it mean? There will be three European teams playing in the WXB Tier 2 next season. Okay. And there'll be regional qualifiers in 2024 um, to decide this. So Ireland need and have to do better in the Six Nations if they're to compete for those places. So that's where they stand, really. 
and they must do better than they did last year. They've ended up in tier three as a result of last year's results. Lots of lessons learned, new coaching, new players in too. Um, lots of new talent so um, looking forward to the Six Nations now Yes and it won't be far around the corner as you said I think the the fact you made a very good point and have been making a very good point about this since, since the team went out to Dubai it's the time they get together as a group and with a new manager it's absolutely invaluable I know the heat and the, and the humidity and all that that comes with being out there and I know some of the opposition as you said weren't of the highest order that they would be used to playing in the Six Nations necessarily not that they're not good rugby nations but the win and the manner of the win over Spain as you said now ups the ante there's got to be an improved performance all well and good doing this but we need to see improved performance but I think we will in the Six Nations because this will stand to them this time together I think so too I think they've done a lot of team building you know being in that close proximity together um, lovely pitches coming out of the last two days in Dubai after that win um, particularly interested in the ones that the girls were playing golf at one stage in the, in the driving range but look I mean a lovely way for them to end up that you know but that, that coach has had like three weeks solid with those players getting to know them um, which is just really important and um yeah, I mean, they're competing now really for places and there'll be lots of girls who got left behind that won't, you know, won't be happy and uh, or they might have got as much, much pitch time and they'll be putting their hands up too. We'd have that Challenge Cup, which we'll talk about another time um, for them to, you know, give them another chance to get to get in there for the Six Nations. So this is what we want, a really competitive Six Nations squad that are competing for those first 15 positions. Couldn't have put it better myself. That's a good summation of uh, well done to Ireland, as, as we said, winning the WXV3 uh, title out, the inaugural WXV3 uh, championship out in Dubai. And uh, good stuff from the new Irish manager and that new Irish panel. And as you mentioned, some of the players that did not feature in that Irish team have been playing in the women's AIL, where two monster clubs, uh, Balancholic and UL Bohemians, we've been following them since the start of the season. So, what's the latest on those two, Wendy? Yeah, round six, imagine. They finished now round six of that um, women's AIL. So a big match in Ballon Colleague, who hosted UL Bowes at the weekend. And UL Bowes continued their winning streak. 69-5 was the score. Probably a little bit surprising there. I didn't think there would have been that much of a gap. But um, UL Bowes hold on to that top spot now with 30 points. And Ballon Colleague still hold on to their fifth spot. And they'll be happy with that to be in the top five. Um, and we've been following Chisholm and her try scoring. So I'll just mention that she did score three. So I'm sure she'll keep um, that her place as the top try scorer. Um, you know, it was also a big event. I, I you know, be uh, miss me not to mention that sadly Donald O'Driscoll passed away um, before this match. Donald would have been a senior women's coach, but he also would have coached in Highfield um, originally and in Ballancolic following that. So, um you know, it was a sad occasion for, for some of the girls that would have known Donald um, as well. And look, our thoughts are with his family and friends at this sad time. Very well said indeed. And, um, you know, uh, we send our condolences, as you said, to family and friends of that that great man. Um, we've moved from the Women's Aerial Roundup and a good win for you well, Bowes. And hopefully Ballon Colleague will bounce back sooner rather than later to the Munster Division 1 and Division 2 leagues, which kicked off this past weekend, Wendy. Yeah, and people might say, you're only starting your league now, but we did start with cup competitions. So um, so the leagues, and it, it was a lovely introduction, actually, the cup competition, get the girls with a few teams, you know, fielding adult teams for the first time. So it gave them time to bleed in. So a couple of results from that. So Skibbereen, um defeated Dolphin 46-19. 
Tralee defeated Ennis Kilrush 11-10. Very tight match. Doesn't get much tighter than that. And UL Bowles seconds um, had a surprising defeat over Shannon 27-21. Um, a very tight match there apparently to the better end. And then in Division 2, Ballancolic defeated Clonakilty 22-12. And Bantry lost out to Brough 32-17. And we remember that we mentioned that Brough um, will be absolutely delighted. It's their first time fielding an adult team. And that was their first league match. And they started off with the win. And um, Middleton got the better of Thurlis 12-7. And Thurlis going through a bit of a, I suppose, a rebuilding phase. Um, lots of new players in, new coaches. So it'll take them a little bit, a while to, to galvanise again. It will indeed, but some excellent results in there for those Munster teams, as you said, in the Munster Division 1 and Division 2. Great to see it kicking off, and as you said, it's because the league uh, follows the immediate couple of rounds of Cups, and um, I think it gives teams a good base. I think it's a good idea, actually, that you're not starting off cold in the league, that you have an opportunity in the Cup and the knockouts to blood some new players, and then you can hit the ground running in these two divisions. Um, but it's great, again, you, the breadth of teams now that you're mentioning there, Ennis, Tralee, you know, Balancolic, Clonakilty, um, it's just fantastic to see that many teams out um, from now right through the winter and into the new year. Yeah, I mean, and, and the competitive matches, when you look at the scores, everybody's scoring tries, which is the main thing. I uh, spoke to one coach today and he said to me, they might have got us in this round, but we'll get them on the returning round. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's great to hear, you know, after round one, um, early days and there'll be lots more development, um, you know, especially this Brough team, you know, 32-17 mm. in their first league game is is a great score. So, um yeah, that's what I'd for. Yeah, well done to Brough on that one. Um, we move now from the Munster Division 1 and Division 2 leagues to the Munster Youth, uh, which of course have been going for the last couple of weeks and some results from that grade. Yeah, so at under-14s, we'd wins for Ballon College, Dalton All Christians, Mallow Mitchellstown, Clannacilty and Brough. Only the ma- one match at uh, under-16 and Brough were defeated by the UL Bulls Gary Owen amalgamation. And at under-18, we'd wins for Ballina, Killaloo, Ennis, Killarney, uh, Clannacilty and Ballincollig and two mini splits because we haven't had a chance really to talk about mm. the minis. So Cork Con hosted their first splits at under 12 so they had a great day there on Sunday morning and Old Crescent was the other one. So um, yeah, lots of girls playing rugby over the weekend. So Excellent. Lovely to see on social media. Yeah, great to see the minis back again as you said. So well done to Cork Con and Old Christians there for hosting those. We'll be hearing a lot more about that as the year progresses, no doubt. We finish our rugby segment on this week's Cork Shred FM Big Red Bench with some Munster Women's Rugby Development news, Wendy. Yeah, all good news. So um just picked out three highlights. The under-16 trials took place in Feathers on Sunday, so all the clubs were invited to nominate players. So they had a great turnout and a great day, and the sun was shining, blue skies. So and speaking to people on the ground, they said there will be lots of girls invited back for round two because the skill displayed was absolutely extraordinary. Um, lots of smiling faces, lots of enjoyment, and I loved to see... The- clubs were all tagging the girls and getting photographs mm. um, and posting them following the trial. So it was great for me to be able to share those on, on the social media. So that's the first thing. Great news. You're going to love this one. We've been talking about it for a while, but the two women's development officer roles have been sanctioned and advertised for Munster. Closing date is the 16th of November. So um, they'll be delighted to get, you know what I mean, a flurry of applications for that. So anybody interested in sports development, um, please make sure you get your application in. So we're going to double the number of women's development offices that we're going to have. Isn't that just wonderful news? It is brilliant news and very, very important news, as you well know now, with the growing numbers of girls coming through the system and the pathway, you need to galvanise that by getting in coaches and qualified coaches and then training those coaches again and creating more space for, for, for further positions so it is very very good news 
And I suppose an interesting factor around that, I was at a meeting today where they said the growth of the game, of the women's game is as such, that if we don't grow the number of um, volunteers, coaches, etc., development officers, we won't be able to maintain the demand. Isn't that a wonderful statistic to, to hear? And I'm going to finally, finally give you one more bit of good news, and that is just to congratulate Lynn Cantwell. She was inducted into the UL Sports Wall of Fame at the weekend. Um, as we know, Lynn uh, played with Munster and Leinster and Ireland for lots and lots of times and is out doing great development work out in South Africa at the moment. Excellent. Well, I did not know that, but congratulations to Lynn on that. A, a well-deserved accolade for somebody, as you said, that's given her life to Munster Women's Rugby and fantastic to hear that. Um, as ever, chock-a-block, news, results, everything happening and we'll have more of the same again next week on the Munster Women's Rugby segment here on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench. But for now, thank you once again, Wendy Keane. Thanks a million, Jack. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Now we're coming to the end of the Cork LGFA uh, football championship season, but there's still an awful lot happening both at adult and underage level and also at Munster level. We're going to talk about two Cork teams as well who are facing into Munster finals this coming weekend, but we start our weekly roundup with news um, of Rock Bond overcoming Tyg McCorrigan last Saturday's rearranged Cork LGFA Junior B County Final at MTU Cork in which a huge crowd was in attendance and they were treated to a cracking contest. Rockbond led 2-2 to 0-6 at the end of the first half with former 10-time Cork LGFA All-Ireland Senior winner Valerie Mulcahy netting both of her side's goals. Creditably, Tyg McCorrig roared back into contention during the second half with Olivia Collins finding the net but it wasn't enough to prevent a one-point defeat 2-8 to 1-10 as Rockbond held on for the Cork LGFA Junior B County title and promotion to next season's Junior A grade. Ellen Hurley, five points. Olivia Collins, a goal. Amy McKennedy, Aaliyah O'Sullivan, two points each. And Rachel Leonard, a point. Scores weren't enough to prevent a one-point loss. But Tyke McCorry's renaissance from the bottom of the Junior C grade to the top of the Junior B uh, section uh, should not be discounted. And look, while they're upset to lose out to a Valerie Mulcahy-inspired rock bond, she finished with 2-6 of her side's total. There's a lot to be hopeful for next year for the West Cork Club uh, heading into the uh, Junior B Championship once again. But look, as for rock bond, the new Junior B County winners, um, other scorers on the day were Aideen Donovan and Clara Hearn. And winning uh, an under-21C title, which we featured on the Big Red Bench earlier in the year, and now a Junior B adult trophy in the one calendar year, just underlines the quality of this rising club so make no mistake about it Rock Bond will add to next year's junior A grade off the back of what's been a superb season Kinsale were crowned 2023 Cork LGFA under 16 A county champions following a terrific victory over Mornabi. the West Cork club led 3-3 to 1-6 at the end of the opening half before adding two second half goals and that was enough for Kinsale to win out 5-7 to 2-10 and claim the under 16 A county championship Quiva Horgan top scored for Kinsale with 2-4 Lily Collins Anya Nikarnig and Emer Nikarnig raised green flags for the Kinsale side who also had Catherine Murphy two points and Maisie O'Callaghan on the score sheet Quiva Horgan won her club's player of the match award which was sponsored by Acton's Hotel. Uh, Clannacilty, another West Cork club, have qualified for this year's Cork LGFA Minor B County Final after seeing off Dunamore last weekend. The West Cork side completely dominated the opening half of their semi-final, which was played in Bishopstown. They outclassed Dun- uh, Dunamore and their incessant attacks during the second period uh, saw the Burry Town run out comprehensive winners. Sarah O'Sullivan 2-1, Katie O'Driscoll 1-4, Aoife Flynn Mead 1-1, Joe McCoy, Ellen Mead, a goal each, Kira White 2 points and Kira Barrett a point were Clannacilty's scorers and Clann will now face 
faced the winners of Bride Rovers and Tyg McCorrick's semi-final in this year's Minor B County Decider. A young O'Donovan Rossa team bowed out of this year's Cork LGFA Minor A2 County Championship following uh, a loss in the semi-final stages to Aaron's own Avo O'Donovan five points Arnold McCarthy a goal Ella Hayes scored for a battling Rosses but it's Aaron's own who will move forward to the Minor A2 County Decider against Valley Rovers and we wish both teams all the best in that county final. Speaking of O'Donovan Rossa, the Skibbereen Club is gearing up for Saturday's Munster LGFA Junior A Championship decider with Kerry champions Clown Macken, Moivane at 3.15 in Mallow. It's been quite the journey for the Skibbereen Club and one that can be traced back a full year. A 4-6 to 1-10 humbling at the hands of Neva Vaughan saw the latter claim the 2022 Cork LGFA Junior A title at the expense of a disappointing Rosses. It wasn't so much the defeat rather than the manner of that loss that rankled with O'Donovan Rossa. Uh, they were outclassed at MTU on the day. There was no issue with the outcome. Neva Vaughan were deserving champions. Yet, what was fostered in O'Donovan Rossa's dressing room in the immediate aftermath of that county final loss served as a blueprint for a much improved 2023 season. Playing at a highly consistent level, O'Donovan Rossa saw off Donnie's, Middleton, Douglas and Bantry Blues to finish top of the Cork LGFA Junior A Round Robin Championship section, averaging 114 a game. And even more notable was the Skibbereen Club's much-improved defence that came to the fore in a not 10 to not 4 county semi-final defeat of Douglas. Following that, and a year on from their humbling afternoon at MTU Cork, the West Cork Club returned to the same venue and overcame Donny's 4-10-2-5. 12 months on, and O'Donovan Rossa exercised the ghosts of the previous county final appearance to join the intermediate ranks for 2024. And as they have done all season, the newly crowned junior A county champions, Avo O'Donovan, Laura Manny and Fanula Driscoll were prominent in attack, but it's the defence that cemented their place in the Cork LGFA intermediate final and eventual championship. Celebrations at becoming county championship champions were well deserved, but O'Donovan Ross showed their season was far from over by defeating Tipperary's Lockmore Casalini 3-12 to 2-11 to reach this year's Munster LGFA Junior A semi-finals. Avo O'Donovan 2-7 was central to that victory, as was the talented forwards 1-7 in the 2-16 to 1-7 Munster semi-final win over Clare's Newmarket on Fergus. Now, Kerry champions Clown Mack and Moivane stand in O'Donovan Ross's way of becoming provincial champions. It promises to be a big occasion for the West Cork Club, whose time and effort invested in their youth structures have begun to reap dividends at adult level. Backbone by a strong defence and utilising the experience of Cork senior Laura O'Mahony plus an informed forward line gives O'Donovan Rossa a fighting chance of adding a monster title to their Cork LGFA Junior A trophy. Another Cork LGFA club in Munster final action this coming weekend is Glanmire. Having lost their last three Cork LGFA intermediate county finals, Glanmire finally got over the line by defeating Neva Vaughan in dramatic circumstances earlier this season. A not 11 to 1 7 win over the aforementioned Neva Vaughan saw Glanmire lift the intermediate trophy and finally join the Cork LGFA senior ranks at MTU. According to Rory Noonan's echolive.ie match report, as the county final headed into injury time, it looked as if Neva Bond were going to hang on for a one-point win. Rena Crowley hit over the equaliser from a free shortly after, and from the restart, Glanmire regained possession and Crowley secured victory. Huge credit to Glanmire, having come from three points down at halftime to level it just three minutes into the second half. They lost Claude O'Donovan to a yellow card and in that time Lydia McDonough scored a great goal for Neva Vaughan but Glanmire never panicked and with those late points they were deservedly crowned champions. Following on from that historic success Glanmire have now qualified for the Munster LGFA Intermediate Final following a 2-12 to not 8 Munster semi-final win over Tipperary's Boherla and Douala. 
Again, Rory Noonan here writing in echolive.ie said, overall, Glanmoy were the better side and fully deserved their win as they march on to the final. Credit to the winners whose training was disrupted due to flooding in Glanmoy recently, but they didn't let that bother them. It was the overall quality team display with Kalo O'Connor, Ellen Toomey, Abby O'Mahony, Niamh McAllen and Michelle Dulé leading by example. Glanmoyer scores on the day in that win over Tipperary's Boherland Duala were Michelle Delay won five, Claude O'Donovan a goal, Ali McCarthy two points, Evie Toomey, Orla Roach, Neve McAllen, Lucy Green and Rena Crowley a point apiece. Now, Glanmoyer will take on Limerick's Monaghay, who overcame Kerry's Rathmore 12 points to eight in the other intermediate semi-final in Sunday's intermediate provincial decider in Mallow. So everybody here on the Big Red Bench wishes both O'Donovan Rossa and Glanmire all the best in this weekend's Munster LGFA Finals. And we'll have a full roundup of how those two teams get on and hopefully some reaction as well on next week's Big Red Bench. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and guests between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.